Um, good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? All right, all right. It's, it's a pandemic good. I like it. Pandemic woo. Um, so we're in a series. You've been with us for a while. We're in our second to last week of a series called We Change Together or on what the New Testament calls, uh, it's, it's on what the New Testament calls sanctification, the process by which we are being transformed, the process of becoming like Jesus. But it's not just a series on sanctification or transformation. It's specifically talking about how community or relationships in the local church can be used by the Holy Spirit to help accelerate, accelerate that transformation, that change. Uh, and kind of the theme verse for the series is 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, we all, so we all together as a community with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. And we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so Paul here is describing how together we become like Jesus. As the Spirit helps us see Jesus, we become like him. And so the first week of the series, talking about growth, we talked about intentionality, that we don't grow on accident, that often we don't grow because we don't want to. We don't say that, but that's the fruit of our life. We don't really put any time or energy into it, but, but, but that we have to partner with God to see something happen. In week two, John talked about safety. This idea that we can't look at the areas we need to grow in or change in if we don't feel safe to explore them. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, I talked about um, self-awareness, and I said we can't change what we aren't aware of. And often we need brothers and sisters to say, hey, I see this thing that's concerning, or I experience you this way, and I want more for you. And then last week, I talked about kind of the flip side of that. Self-awareness is others letting us in on our blind spots, and vulnerability is letting those same people in on the parts of our lives that are concealed, that are secret to us. And oftentimes, um, those secrets can hold us hostage. And so I want to build on those previous weeks with today's message. So what happens when someone does know the truth about us? Either they see a blind spot or we let them in on that part of our life that we don't really want people to see. What do they do then? And the answer for today's message is the idea of gospel encouragement. Gospel encouragement has to do with speaking the message of Jesus in each other's lives at the right times and in the right way. And the idea is this, is that we need the gospel message spoken into our life because there are so many other messages rattling, rattling around our hearts and our minds. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, um, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so as the church, we are called, up, we are called to raise up disciples of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, and nurture those same people into the truth of Jesus. And the reason we need the truth, the reason we need someone to come tell us something about Jesus is because this world has lied to us about God and ourselves often. God created us at the beginning to be with him and to reflect his love to those around us. But we rejected God, we know as the story goes. We stopped reflecting his love to each other. And instead of reflecting each other, we started rejecting each other. And started, instead of encouraging one another, we began wounding one another. And the primary way we often have wounded one another is through our words, through the messages. Throughout the scripture, we see the idea of blessing 
and curse. And don't think like voodoo curse or whatever. Think um, when someone says something over you enough that you start to believe it and it's negative. With our words, we can build up or with our words, we can tear down. And far too many people, maybe many of you sitting here today, all of us at different times, um, for many of us, we walk through the journey of life with like an invisible backpack full of bricks. And those bricks are often negative, limiting messages about who we are, messages that communicate implicitly or explicitly that we are not loved, valued, important, gifted, capable, and they make our life so much harder and change so much more difficult. In our fallen world, we start receiving messages early. They're usually from our our parents or caregivers. I read a quote, uh, John showed me this quote uh, this week, and it said, um, often the way that we talk to our children will become their inner voice later in life. And for some of us, that's good news. We had phenomenal parents who spoke stuff we want to be saying over ourselves. But for some of us, our parents or our caregivers uh, didn't provide the care that we needed, and they certainly didn't provide the words that we needed. Maybe they even provided um, negative words. And then you grow up, you start going to school, and, and kids kind of add to that backpack, and then there's people you date, and there's coaches and bosses and leaders, and there's marketing and advertising. And then there's the bastion of untrue, reactive messages on social media that you read through your own lens. And then the enemy comes, and he highlights the lies and the negative messages, and he says, this is who you are. And on top of that, we continue to speak over ourselves the messages we believe, and we even reinforce them to the point that we think others are communicating those same negative messages to us when they're actually communicating a message of love to us in the present day. We're still hearing our dad or our mom or that kid at school or that harsh boss, and we actually end up pushing people away who only want to help. This grieves me maybe more than anything as a pastor. And, and it makes it very hard for us to change in community. But if we are aware that we take on these negative messages, we can push back on them. We can push back on the negative, deceitful messages of the enemy with the truth. With the truth. In Romans 12, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. And in community, we can push back on the, on the lies, not only of our, uh, push back on the lies we're prone to believe, we can push back on the lies those that we love are prone to believe. I would argue you're not intimate with someone if you don't yet know the lies they're prone to believe that they need to be pulled out of. That often at times I'll end up in these, these ditches. Second Corinthians 10 says, for although we live in the flesh, We do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, not physical weapons, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That there are messages, there are thoughts, there are arguments raised up against a true knowledge of God, a true knowledge of what he's done, a true knowledge of who we are, and that messes us up. But there is a power when we push back on those, not only in our own life, but in the lives of those we love. And we go, hey, we want to take every thought, every message captive to obey Jesus. 
There are a couple of people who I meet with in this church from time to time. Uh, you guys probably know who you are. Many of them are Enneagram 3s or Enneagram 1s for the record. When I meet with them, I end up saying something like this to them during our meeting. I'll often look across at them and say something so basic like this. You aren't supposed to be perfect. Your expectations for yourself are way higher than God's expectations for you. You don't need to impress me. You don't need to impress God. You don't need to impress your friends or your kids or your spouse or your boss. And I'll say something really simple. Jesus loves the messy version of you. He loves you on your worst day. And they often start crying in the face of like a really simple gospel truth. That you don't have to be perfect. Why? Because many of them have been trained from a young age to live according to the lie that they have to be perfect. I'm not saying it was an intentional, like a parent actually said, you need to be perfect. Maybe they did do that. That does happen. But more, they, they picked up at some point that that's what, was, what had to happen. They picked up the environments around them and were like, okay, for me to be loved or accepted or seen, I have to be perfect. And spoiler alert, you can't be perfect. So walking around with that message is exhausting. But Jesus can call us out of lies like that into abundant life through his messengers, the brothers and sisters he's given us in the church. He sends them into our lives with true messages that are rooted in the gospel of Jesus, but personally about us. Again, message about who God is, what he has done, who we are, and being that kind of gospel messaging community is what we're talking about today. And so I have three points, two quick, one longer. And the first one is this. Number one, again, we take on messages throughout our lives. Number two, those messages shape the way we live. Number three, this is kind of a paragraph, but it's necessary. When we affirm the right messages rooted in the gospel in each other's lives, it has the power to change us. When we affirm the right messages rooted in the gospel in each other's lives, it is the power to change us. So, so that's number three. So number one, we take on messages throughout our lives. Um, I'm not a big Halloween guy, but we do take our kids trick-or-treating. Well, back when that was a thing that you could imagine. Um, uh, we did that, right? And, uh, and, and life can kind of be like going trick-or-treating. Only instead of people dropping candy into a you know, cheap plastic pumpkin basket, they drop messages into our hearts. It's like day in and day out. People are dropping stuff, dropping stuff, dropping stuff. And some of them are good messages. John calls these good bucket messages. You got like a good bucket and a bad bucket. They're good. They're sweet. They're tasty. But then there are bad bucket messages, messages that hold us down, messages that tell us awful things about ourselves. And again, Proverbs says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. These messages impact us whether we want to admit it or not. The question isn't, are you being impacted by messages? It's what messages are you being impacted by and what are you doing about it? So good bucket messages we could collect through life could be, um, uh, here's a couple, uh, I love who you are. I don't just love you, I like you. Um, you're a priority to me. I have time for you. How can I help you? I'm sorry that hurts so much, man. Can I help? 
Um, I believe in you. I think you have what it takes to do this thing that's in front of you, and I want to help you. Um, I won't abandon you. Jesus won't abandon you, and I'm not going to either. I'm pumped that you're here in this space, in this place with us today. I'm so glad that you're here. Here is what I love about you. Um, for my birthday, I received a book full of notes from people uh, just saying nice things about me. Uh, it was really nice. It was like a good bucket explosion. Uh, just Jack gave it to me. I think Nicole compiled it. And there were some messages in there that, that felt really good to read. And, 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 and particularly because there were things that people saw in me that I didn't even see in myself. And, he, and here's one big thing I want to say. There's a distinction between someone thinks better of you than you really are. Those actually don't feel good. Those aren't good bucket messages. Those are, oh, crap. They, they don't know the real me. But I'm talking like they see something, and you thoughtfully process it, and you go, oh, I, I could see that. And that's really amazing. Um, one of those messages came from Sarah Ballard. She was just up here for the offering talk. And she wrote something in the notebook that essentially said, um, I have learned about God's love by watching you interact with your kids especially Olivia. And that was like, it was like a really big one, big one for me. Um, and I thought about it, I was like, oh man, as I think about, I don't think of myself as a good parent, but as I think about what kids need to thrive, I was like, we actually do do those things. And we are trying, we are not perfect. We, we really do try um, to shower her with affection and love. And that someone else saw it externally. It was like a really cool, good bucket message. But on the flip side, um, if we're honest, again, there, there are bad bucket messages too. We collect messages like, you are a disappointment. You are a victim. You'll never be able to take your future into your own hands. You're too weak. I knew you'd fail. You always do. You're not fill-in-the-blank enough. Smart, good-looking, thin, tough, funny, handsome, whatever. Whatever was said over you. You'll never change. One of my personal uh, favorites, you're just like your father, which, spoiler alert, my mom hated my father, so not, not the best. Or you're just like your mother, if that's a negative thing in your house. Uh, you, you're important to me when you get stuff done. Or I, I'm proud of you when you accomplish stuff. I remember watching or reading an interview, I don't know if you guys saw this, a couple of years ago by Adele, and she basically, Adele the singer, and she basically said her dad popped up out of nowhere and said he was her dad again. Uh, when she got famous and how he wanted nothing to do with her. And again, that message says, hey, you're important to me because you got stuff done. You're making me look good. Countless athletes tell the same story. Why can't you be more like fill in the blank? Couldn't you just be? And then a, a really tough one. Um, don't count on me. You're on your own in life. I've experienced this where I've been at some tough transitional crossroads in my life where I had people that I thought I could count on and just say, hey, actually, that's not the case. And it, and it really, really hurts. And so to help you discern what messages have shaped and are shaping you, um, I want to take a second and challenge you to contemplate some questions uh, from a resource I found to be super helpful for thinking through these ideas. Um, if you are able to, again, if you have parents with small kids, it might not be possible. Maybe, 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 maybe you could trick them. Um, but if you guys would close your eyes for a second, if you're able to, and just contemplate a couple of these questions for a second. First one is this. What were the things that your parents or other caregivers said to you regularly growing up? Just think about that for a second. Keep your eyes closed here. Um, again, you may have been told you'll never amount to anything 
or you may have been told that you had to be amazing. Either statement can form lies and that shape your life. For example, if you believe that you are supposed to be amazing, you may internalize that in a way that makes you proud. You could, be, you could begin to view others through the lens of your destiny and see them as objects to help you advance your cause. If you were told you would never amount to anything and it could affect you in a variety of ways, it could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You live out what you were told you were. Or you could live in defiance of the lie and seek to prove everyone in your wrong and live with a chip on your shoulder. You become an overachiever. The reality is both the person who surrenders to the lie and the person who defies the lie are bound by the lie. So that first question, what were the things that your parents or other caregivers said to you regularly growing up? Number two, what are the shaping experiences of your life? What are these shaping experiences of your life? Keep your eyes closed here. And I want you to pay attention to repeated experiences because lies often get reinforced here. If your father abandoned the home when you were a toddler and then you were rejected by your friends in elementary school when your first boyfriend or girlfriend cheated on you, that's going to leave a significant hole in your foundation. You may end up feeling unlovable, inadequate, or unsafe and believe that no one can be trusted to love you. There will be lies here that must be addressed. The third one is this. Um, what are the things you catch yourself saying to yourself? What are the things that you catch yourself saying to yourself? And kind of think through when, you're, when there's self-talk, is it, is it positive, is it negative? And if, if it's positive, what is it? If it's negative, what is it? If it creates anxiety or pressure, what message is creating that anxiety or pressure? Now open your eyes for, for a second. I hope you can see that those, that stuff's still there. For a lot of us, it, when I do this exercise with people, rarely people are like, I have no idea as they've sat through the three questions. But often we're not intentional about not letting that stuff get in the way. So it's so readily available to us in our mind to draw on. It's probably closer to our kind of our thought process and our way of life than we want to admit. So do you push back on that stuff? Because if we don't, it'll impact our life, which leads me to my second point. Those messages shape the way we live. I, I had two, uh, two really shaping moments for me as I thought through the events and the message I took away from it that was super implicit um, but, but not explicitly said. Um, when I was in high school, I got kicked out of my house. Uh, I got into a physical altercation with my stepdad, um, and uh, I was 15, and it was hard, and it was a painful night. And, uh, and then I, was, I basically couldn't come back to the house I'd grown up at my whole life. And, um, and I had to move with my dad. It was kind of its own thing. And I just remember, um, for whatever reason, I remember leaving the house that night and kind of walking the streets. I knew I just got in this fight and thinking, like, I don't know where I'm going to go. Like, I actually remember thinking that and walking and um, for a few blocks or I'm going to go to my friend's house. I remember a cop car pulled up and, um, and uh, they were like, hey, are you Andy? And I'm like, oh, man, um, they must be here to help me because a grown man just assaulted me. And, uh, and they said, oh, we got to take you back. And it turns out it was like, oh, you, you started the fight or something like that. And, and long story short, uh, I don't want to go too down, this, too down the, the trauma of my life, but there was this reality that I wasn't protected um, by my parents uh, through that situation. And I really was like trying to find a place to go. I uh, fast forward um, to uh, like, literally 10 years ago now. And I remember um, at my son Clive's birth, 
And I remember being there, and I just remember my wife had like, I don't know, five or six uh, relatives there, and people were coming, and I had no one there. And people just couldn't make it, and, and, and it is what it is. I just remember thinking, if I, man, if I, it was my kids, I would be there for this moment. And I actually remember walking around the hospital, um, just thinking, and, and when you first get there, um, when you first get to the hospital, if they're not fully ready, they're like, hey, you're, you're, you're too far along to probably go home, um, but it's too early to, to really get things going. Uh, they'll have you kind of walk around. If you've ever been there, it's the worst thing. You, you want to wait to the last minute, by the way, for future reference when you're having babies. But I just remember walking around with Jackie, just walking around this hospital, just thinking, overwhelmed by the fact, not the fact that the baby was about to be here, but, but for a while it was, um, man, I wish someone else would be here. I remember call, I literally called John Dennert and said, hey, man, I'm just really sad no one's here. Um, I wanted to talk to someone about it, and he walked me through and said, hey, this is a big day for you. You don't need to think about who's not here. You know that you're there, and you have this amazing gift of Clive Aaron Rogers uh, coming into the building, and, uh, and he prayed for me, and he encouraged me, and, and it met the world. But, but as I look back, and I, and I take stock of moments like that where I felt like I was on my own, um, that's absolutely created a space in me where I felt like I need to do stuff myself. I need to create stuff, create stuff myself. Uh, it's led to overworking. Um, again, and, and I don't want to ask for help, and I need to you know, do it myself, and I need to secure something, and I need to make it happen. And, um, and that definitely could lead to me burning out if I don't pay attention to that reality. Does that make sense? Um, it leads to me at times being jealous of people. Uh, I've spoken at conferences after some amazing speakers, and I thought, oh, man, what, what am I going to offer <laughs> right now? Uh, in my heart, I kind of want them to not do too good. So I'd kind of, you know, again, it's weird to say, but, but that stuff's there. And some people, they don't keep it there. They actually tell people that kind of stuff. May make you feel insecure in your friendships. It make, make, could make me a people pleaser. Someone might leave me or whatever it is. And so messages shape the way we live. And it's not just me. I mean, I'm sharing, you know, some nitty-gritty stuff in my life, but it's not just me. Um, this happens. Workaholism and neglecting our families, right? I have to achieve. I have to find my worth or I have to create my own security because I never had it, experienced financial trauma growing up or something like that, um, people-pleasing, codependency, toxic relationships, meaningless physical encounters. Physical encounter is a phrase I'm using because it's an all-ages gathering, okay? Um, but, but, but you go from, per from person to person, and you're in the desperate need for the approval of others. And even when people treat you poorly, you can't say, this isn't okay, and I'm going to walk away. Um, Sometimes some of us can't say no to anyone, and we are overwhelmed constantly. We feel frustrated with everyone in our life, but we're the ones that don't say no. It's like, I'm bummed out you have this expectation of me that I agreed to. And the reason for that is, 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 is we struggle uh, to say no. Uh, some, some of us, um, we act out and do hurtful things. Uh, you often heard the message, you know, implicitly or explicitly, that you weren't important enough to pay attention to. Maybe it was a big family, maybe it was you know, workaholic parents, maybe it was just there was trauma going on, maybe there was whatever. Um, but, but, but you learned that the one way I can get attention is at least to get negative attention. It's like the kid who acts out to, to get attention. The, the problem with that, though, is as you grow up, it's a really bad strategy for relationships. But adults can do that still. And some of us, we, we have relational patterns where we drive people crazy because we act out in selfish, obnoxious ways. But really, underneath the surface is a scared little boy or little girl who just wants someone to say, I see you. You're important to me. We haven't forgot about you. 
Some of us, we struggle to connect with people. Again, we heard, we heard, we heard the message early on. Um, you know, hey, you were hurt. And it was like, hey, no one's, here, no one's gonna help you with that. And so we took on the message that no one is safe. We think if I get close to anyone, I'll be abused again or I'll be hurt. We put wall up, walls up, which guarantees we'll never be hurt again, kind of. But too often, it, it, it guarantees we're never gonna experience intimacy and healthy love. Armor is really good to wear on a battlefield. It's really awkward to give a hug in. And while it might have served you for a season, um, it no longer does. Um, I see this pop up in conflicts. And someone's, if you heard the message, uh, hey, we don't believe in you. And then you, you're always, hey, uh, you're, you know, you're in conflicts. You don't believe in me, right? You're saying you don't want me here. You're saying I'm a failure. You're saying you want to leave me. Like, no one's saying that. No one's saying that. But, but, but you can hear that if that's the message you heard growing up. And I could go on and on and on. But there is hope in this message situation. It's this, when we affirm the right messages rooted in the gospel in each other's lives, it has the power to absolutely change us. In Romans chapter 1, I have a lot of verses I'm not going to read for time's sake. But if you jump down to Romans chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, So I am, ang- I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He wants to preach the gospel to people who are already Christians. He thinks they need a gospel message. And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So faith in the gospel message and its implications is how we are called to live. And so what are some of the aspects of the gospel that might change us? Well, what if you heard messages like, um, you're loved deeply regardless of your performance, and you actually internalized it? You'd be able to say things like, I can work hard but not sinfully hard. I can take breaks, take vacations, Sabbath regularly, enjoy my friends and family. I can say no to people when I can't handle a request. I can avoid burnout. What if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that you are not just loved, but adored, treasured? You wouldn't tolerate toxic behavior when people treat you like less than what you're worth because you wouldn't be desperate for any affection or quote-unquote love. If you were secure, you wouldn't be insecure or jealous or competitive. If you knew you were forgiven and not defined by your sin, you would run to God when you fail, not away from him which will lead to a close relationship with God and others. And so our ability to change deeply is connected to what message we have received and we're walking in. So again, faith in the gospel message, its implications are how we are called to live. And so um, what are some of the aspects of the gospel that might change us? To look at that as we close, I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul lays out the gospel filled with the richness of what it means for us into the letter. And Ephesians is a super important letter. Um, in the first three chapters, Paul mainly focuses on who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. As a matter of fact, the phrase in Christ or in him, the him is Christ, um, it's the key expression. It's used 11 times in the first chapter and 30 times throughout the letter of the, to the Ephesians. The phrase is talking about our relationship with God, our union to Jesus, 
And it's about how we are given this relationship with God through Jesus and who we are now in the Father's eyes because of him. Ephesians 1, if you guys want to turn there, verses 3 through 12. Just take this in for a second. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. This is good news. It might seem like I read it like it's a run-on sentence, and in Greek it is. It's the longest sentence in the New Testament. Um, it's almost like um, uh, asking a young lady who just got engaged, and she's excited about it. Tell me about it. It's just, it's, you're going. This, this, the train's leaving. Uh, you're getting that story. It's like you got to take a breath. One scholar says this about this passage. Paul says that we are chosen in him as you read Ephesians 1, you'll read who the Father says you are. And by the way, that's the only thing that matters about you, friends. The Father chose you in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the earth. It wasn't dependent upon what you did or who you are or what you have or what family you come from. The Father chose you in Christ to make you holy and blameless in his sight. You have been adopted into the family of God. In the Roman Empire, the adopted child had the full privileges of a biological child and was completely released from control of his biological parents. Adoption implies belonging and freedom. Some of you are always wondering, where do I belong? It's with him. How will I ever get free? It's in him. In him, you have been redeemed by his blood, your sins have been forgiven because God lavished his grace upon you. You are forgiven according to the riches of his grace, not, in, not according to the poverty of your moral life. His grace is greater than your sin. His rich grace is infinitely greater than the poverty of your sin-stained soul. In him you've been called for a purpose of eternal significance. You have received an inheritance from God, and you are God's inheritance. You are his lot. You have been included in Christ and marked with a seal as a family member when you received the promised Holy Spirit. This is who you are in Christ, and this is only the beginning of your identity, the foundation of your well-being. And here's what's crazy. In the rest of Ephesians chapters 4 to 6, Paul calls us to live this beautiful life of love, a life where your identity shapes your destiny, where your identity shapes your actual life if you believed and trusted in the way that the Father sees you and what he has done for you in Jesus. But, but here's the thing. We are prone to forget this. This is why Paul needed to preach the gospel to Christians 
We're prone to wander. We need brothers and sisters, what the series is all about, who will remind us of the gospel message because we're so prone to forget all that. How could you forget that mouthful? We forget. We, don't, we, don't, we often don't remember a line of it when we're struggling. But we need brothers and sisters to come speak into our lives. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. We need people to remind us of the truth of Jesus, which helps us grow up to become like Jesus. We need people to remind us of the truth and push back on false, limiting, less than gospel messages. Hey, you're doing that thing again where you believe in that thing again? No, 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 no. Loving, let's come over here. There's safety over here. There's truth over here. There's joy over here. Yesterday, um, Olivia Gwen Rogers learned to ride her bike without training wheels. Okay, get pumped. I know where she is. We're excited for you, Liv. Um, and that, that was exciting to me. I got home. Uh, she was excited. She showed me she could ride. I mean, it was a big moment. Um, I assumed Jackie had taught her how to ride because Calvin and I were out on a dad hang. We went and got ramen. He was, he's a big ramen guy. He got a Maruchan ramen shirt for, for Christmas. Um, so I took him to Underbelly, and uh, he, he was pumped. He called it Silky Noodles. Um, so I was with Calvin, and so Jack was at the house, got this new puppy. She's pretty busy. So I just, I, I just thought, I, I don't know what happened. And she said, Clive taught me to ride a bike with no training wheels. Um, and um, she, she was super excited about that. She shared that he helped her. And honestly, as she shared it, it felt like it was a picture of how brothers and sisters in the church can help one another in the journey of life. I, I was talking to Liv and um, she said, I said, how, how did it feel? What, what, what? She said, I was so scared I was going to crash, and I was about to crash a bunch of times, Dad. But when I was about to crash, Clive would catch me. And then he would help me get going again, and he would tell me that that was a great try, and that he knew I could do this still, and that I didn't have to quit. And then she wants you to know this. And now I can ride with no training wheels, and I couldn't have done it, without Clive's help. We need people in our life when we're about to crash and go, no, 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 you're not alone. No, 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 you are loved. No, 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 you are filled with the spirit. You can do this. I know you're scared right now, but we are with you and you don't have to face it alone. We are for you, not against you. We're not gonna leave you, either is Jesus. We are so proud of you and more importantly, so is the Father. We're gonna make it through whatever we're facing together. Um, we have communion, I think. Uh, do you guys have your communion cups? We need people to remind us of that truth, but there would be nothing to remind us of if that truth didn't exist. And, and thinking through this concept of messages we received over our life, is there a, a communion cup? Uh, Clive, always helping out, dude. Killing it. You guys want to pull out your, uh, your wafer? Whenever I do um, premarital with couples, Jackie and I, um, oftentimes we'll talk about, hey, what did your family give you, both good or bad? 
And one of the things we'll talk about that can be hard for people is um, this idea of people either want to be honest or they want to be honoring. They go, if I'm honest about my life, it wouldn't be honoring about my family. Or if, I, if I'm honoring them, it's not really always the truth because there's no perfect families. And, and we also say that, that every family has something in it. These are people made in the image of God. Every family has something in it that reflects something of God's character, even if it's pretty small in some cases. But every family also is marred by sin because we're not with Jesus yet. And so there's a little something, there's something or a big thing that's really terrible. But, but some of those things are the messages we've received. Some of us have received mostly great messages explicitly, but implicitly. We always wondered if we had to keep them. Or some of us experienced wounding, damning, condemning, awful messages that broke our hearts and made us wonder if we were worth anything. But a passage of scripture I always like to look at is this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, For you know that you were redeemed from the empty way of life inherited from your ancestors. By the way, not inherited, not, not redeemed from everything that your ancestors gave you. Just the empty way of life. Just the, just the less than Jesus, less than love, less than beautiful life. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, and you were redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Jesus died to give you a new beginning with a new identity, with a new father, with a new future, with a new hope. You're not bound to what was spoken over you when you were young or when you were old. Maybe it was last year. The word over you, the better word that's been spoken over you is the word he's spoken over you. This is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always until the end of the age. And it's all because of what Jesus did. And so right now, I encourage you to eat your, uh, eat your wafer and do the juice at the same time because it's impossible to chew. As we, um, would you guys stand as we go into to worship? Uh, two songs as we close. Father, I thank you that you have drawn us to yourself into a new family. We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it, but we have it. I thank you that the messages spoken over us or the messages we speak over ourselves or the messages of the enemy or the messages of social media or the messages of whoever are not truer than what you say about us. The truest thing about us is what you declare over us. It is finished. It is complete. I adore you. I love you. I see you. I rejoice over you with singing. I'm not going anywhere. You're going to be okay. I know you can do this. I'm with you. Lord, would those messages be the messages that the men and women in this church, would we remind each other of what you have said? We all struggle to believe it at times. We all end up in bad spaces at times. We all lose our way at times. But would you use us to draw each other back, to push back on lies, to shower one another, lavish one another with truth? When we feel like we're about to fall, would we share where we're at so others can help catch us so that we can get back on our way and take responsibility for ourselves again and, and, and ride our bike. But God, would you 
Would you make us a, a gospel messaging community? Jesus, thank you for what you did to secure a new identity, a new righteousness, a new standing, a new future, a new hope. And when we believe the words truly, it is finished. In your name we pray. Amen.